Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that we currently live in. It has been said in many places and many times that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can go play uh, and spend our hobby time and hobby dollars on. Uh, in fact, it's it's getting it's getting really difficult. Um, quite a few people have recently given me feedback on this show that um, that this show apparently isn't helping. It's uh, <laughs> talking about too many games that uh, we all love to play. But I guess that's the purpose of this show, to talk about industry events, talk about the games that my guests and I love playing, or that, you know, things that we're passionate about that relate to tabletop gaming and, uh, to a degree, nerd culture. Um, before we get into today's episode, I had quite a few people recently give me some really really nice feedback about the uh, Never Say Never Again episode that we did uh, four months ago, um, where we looked at the last Sean Connery pseudo-Bond movie, um, and I had uh, Jared the Yard Sale Artist on from a variety of podcasts, um, and we really went through the movie, and I've had a lot of people saying, are you going to do that again? Uh, Stay tuned, True Believers. Next episode, we are going to be back with Jared doing Big Trouble in Little China. So I hope you're ready, because uh, I feel like there's some good quotes coming on. Anyway, let's. Uh, speaking of people that I've had on in the last, oh, maybe four months, uh, and a lot of people gave me great feedback about this episode as well, uh, we had my man, Dr. Mercury, on, one of my favorite bloggers, and he's back today, and we are going to talk, amongst other things, G.I. Joe and Wargaming. Doug Mercury, Jason, welcome back to Cast Ice. Hello. It's hey, awesome. thanks for having me. It's awesome, man. I, I kind of shortchanged the giant intro on this one because um, <laughs> I think we're going to be talking about all the stuff you do in about five seconds. Um, for those who are not aware, please give the audience your uh, blog address because it is literally one of my favorites, <laughs> and I want to make sure the, they get the spelling right because if you spell it wrong, it's hard to find. The website is drmercury at blogspot.com. It's D-O-C-T-O-R-M-E-R-K-U-R-Y at blogspot.com. Nice. The K is the difference in the spelling. Yeah, exactly. That's And that's where I get it wrong every time. Uh, <laughs> that, and it's because on my laptop, it's uh, bookmarked. So all I have to do is click a little link at the top, and I, it goes straight to your blog. And when I try and look nice. at it on my phone, I'm an idiot, and I haven't put it on the bookmarks there. And uh, I go, oh, <laughs> no. So I have to go to a Facebook group to find uh, your post that you've been doing. But you have been expanding beyond the blog. Uh, you now have a Thingiverse page as well um let's talk about that because there is some yeah. awesome stuff on there man um what wh tell them where they can find you and then let's talk about the page itself go ahead uh again it's under if you go to thing thingiverse and you look under dr d-o-c-t-o-r and i believe it's underscore yes mercury m-e-r-k-u-r-y yeah that's it there's but, an um, underscore under that there. you'll see I yeah I think I have like 20 things listed for design so far. But you've been printing them, and they look great. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it, I've, been, uh, I've been learning as I go. Um, a friend of mine, Tom Rollin, who, uh, who lives over in Scotland, got a Creality 3D printer. 
Mm -hmm. and uh, introduced me to some of the applications he was playing around with, with uh, the main one being Tinkercad, which is extremely addictive. That's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's the modest way I can put it. But Tinkercad is literally a, uh, a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. <clears throat> 3D modeling software that's completely free that's online. It has limitations, but really you can do so much with it. It takes you a while to hit those walls of the limitations. Okay, you but need to not tell me it's 99. free. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's bad. <laughs> well, it, it's even more dangerous because it works right in your browser. You don't have to download anything. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, right. I, I did say yeah. that you were coming on today to talk about G.I. Joe, but you aren't mm -hmm. only putting... Uh, so you and I both... Um, are fans of G.I. Joe in sort of 156, 148 scale, you know, 28 mil tabletop wargaming, yeah. uh, skirmish slash larger battles using, you know, G.I. Joe and other, and other game systems. Um, and we went through your pedigree yep. as a gamer. I mean, you've written quite a lot of rules over the years. Um, but recently you've been expanding out of G.I. Joe as well. Um, why don't you tell us some of the stuff that's been on the blog? Because... Um, for people who want to check out the blog or your Thingiverse page, I know that they're related um, and they are all awesome and they completely sit in my wheelhouse. So tell us some of the stuff you've been doing because it's awesome. Sure. Thank you. Um, some of the other stuff I'm adding to is there's also a lot of my stuff is keyed into like the 1980s because mm -hmm. me as a, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 45 years old. Mm -hmm. That's like the nostalgia period for me for like games and boys and stuff. It was such a great great era to grow up in amen so now you're seeing a lot of those tabletop games uh they're referring back to those genres that you enjoyed as a kid so gi joe being one of them another one is um masters of the universe mm -hmm. there's a uh, sure lines out there for that stuff as well now an example of that would be david antiel's actually i'm sorry daniel antiel's yes. uh line quest miniatures on etsy yes which he had a great set he's produced a, a number of figures for but there's you know there's collectives out there online where there's forums and groups that are pulling together to figures and you know um, of those different pieces so there's a lot out there and uh, i've been using the three as well i started out with um just trying to learn um the application itself like i, I used tinkercad for about nine Joe pieces, some Transformer pieces. You know, I love um, the Bot Wars game from yes. um, in, uh, in your own Australia. That's but right. I have some of the pieces that he's made. I've made some traces related to those. Um, I've also been adding to like some of the G.I. Joe stuff as well. being produced out there. I created uh, legs for the TT Combat Freighter. They make the, uh, the scenery piece of a 28 millimeter cargo ship. Yes. I have that up on my blog, some of the modifications I made to it. But I wanted to add the legs from the Cobra Islander mm -hmm. for when it actually surfaced and was on the island so that we could do like, you know, Cobra Civil War battles as well as the uh, the when when G.I. Joe actually tried to first force uh, the Cobra forces off of the island when yes. it first surfaced. So, yeah. so you have those pieces on the Thingverse page as well, and that stuff's all free to download, free to print, and uh, just to just to give you an idea of how it works too. Thingverse, if you don't have a friend that has a printer, like I said, I can't. If you're in England, I can't re recommend Tom Rolland enough. His prints are some of the best out there, and it really is 
an art form in and of itself to run really those is. printers. Uh, yeah, I had one for a small period of time. It frustrated the hell out of me. I ended up returning it. <laughs> it's just not my wheelhouse. Yeah. And the one I had was faulty too, which didn't help. But if you don't have access to Tom, you're in the States or you don't want to pay shipping or something like that too, there is a way that you can print from Thingverse. They have three different vendors that run three different services mm -hmm. that are each run through an application where basically pick application you want to use and then they have different printers that are under their network that you can select by their stars and ratings. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I've made connections through that. Yeah. Yeah, because I, like you, don't have a 3D printer. Um, mm -hmm. That is also completely out of my wheelhouse. But uh, I have quite a few, and by quite a few, I think you and I both have literally dozens of G.I. Joe vehicles off of Thingverse that we've yeah. um, we've had printed yeah. for us. Um, and I have a guy in the States who's able yeah. to print models into resin, which is mm -hmm. phenomenal. Uh, I'm not sure he wants me to advertise, so I'm, I'm not going to uh, say his right. name, but... I know who you mean. Beautiful pieces. Oh, my God. Yes. And so it's just yeah. a matter of finding, as you say, the people who have mastered the art form of printing and just sending them the files. Um, and it's just that conversation yep. of how big do you want it? How much detail do you want? Yep. How about we talk about this? And for everything he prints, um, there's, you know, a conversation about what I what I would like, how I would like it. And then, um, you know. I have to wait because they yep. have to actually, it's got to be printed in the right materials, and that takes a really long time. But then, um, you know, it gets shipped over, and it's beautiful. But yeah. Yeah, so worth the wait. Yeah. Oh, it is, right? And to get those things that yeah. you just can't get anywhere else. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I've done a lot of 3D printing for, um, for, G.I. Joe, and even for Transformers in 28 mil, yes, I've printed a few Transformers, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But um, recently, I found a ton yeah. of vehicles that I really wanted from World War II. The SDKFZ-9, which mm. is like the SDKFZ-7, yeah. the half-track truck, except it's literally almost as tall as a King Tiger in real life. And so... Yeah. To have that made, it's just weird. Like, how would you find someone to yep. make that? And someone made the 3D print file, so I've had it printed and is currently in the mail. Um, and it's just yeah. it's just to get those things you can't get elsewhere. Um, it's unbelievable. I, I, yeah. I can't I can't tell you enough about it. Like, just even if you even if you just browse through, um, you can look through and pick out like Spanish Civil War up armored mm -hmm. trucks, right? <laughs> You know, there are just obscure of, a you know, armored Soviet tractors. You can find all that stuff out there. And either someone has a model that they're willing to sell or, you know, it's available free. Or even if you wanted to pay someone to sculpt it, it's it's so much more. It's so much less of a hassle to do now yeah. than it was previously to do. You know, I use the term meat space because I'm a big Neuromancer fan. Nice. But yeah, you know, to do to do it back in like meat space compared to how it does now, you know, for me to make a wheel on something and make that same wheel 10 times, it's a matter of seconds to do. Yeah. So once you get proficient with applications like Tinkercad, you can really knock out, you know, some very nice high quality models. And it's something too where you gain experience with. And if you have a printer or you have a friend that that is patient with the printer, like like I said, not to mention Tom's name again, but Tom is me with when I made some pieces, he prints them and then tells me where there can be uh, moments for improvement in it. Like 
about the process of printing itself. Mm-hmm. And with that, you need male and female socket joints so that when you have multiple pieces that have been cut up or that will become jagged, mm-hmm. those male and female socket joints make it easy for someone to place it together. So it's one of those things that I've had models like uh, I have a 28 millimeter. In 28 millimeter, I made uh, the retaliation Cobra Hiss tanks, the new modern looking ones that you saw. Um, Really pretty slick looking tanks. And it was a really tough sculpt because there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of obtuse angles. It's Mm -hmm. not like a warm rips or something that you're working from. Exactly. With working with Tom as printing it, he redirected me like, okay, the the tracks are going to be a problem. This is something that you need to do to fix the tracks. Um, you need male, female socket joints here. So those are all things that as I mm-hmm. went and reworked the pieces, I learned and added to my tool set. So as I'm making more and more pieces, I'm thinking about how the actual printing process is taking place. Yeah. So it's easier both as someone that's printing it. And also there's pieces now that are being cast as well. They're being resin cast. So there's resin masters being made. And from those resin masters, molds are being created. So stuff can be cast. Yeah, man. That is such an exciting time. I mean, just to get the yeah. things that we want. Um, oh. Yeah, just. I mean, you you made um, t- recently. I saw that you did the. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. The tracked tank from He Man with the weird tracks that <laughs> spin and go over. But yeah, what is yeah, that? Yeah the 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 attack track. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that was one of the like, first pieces I made. So I've actually gone back, and this is something, too, is in Thingiverse, if you're someone that follows my my page on Thingiverse, I do, uh, I do mark stuff as this is in progress. You have mm-hmm. that ability to mark something that's still a work in progress so that people know, hey, you might not want to print this yet. You could print it if you want to, but you might not want to because it's not complete. Yeah. And I don't take that off until I actually have physical copied prints in hand that I've made. So with that, I've actually gone back and revised the files a couple times and uh, also rescaled it because when I did print it, it came out, you know, even though I thought it was a good scale for 28 millimeter, it needed to be much larger, like 150% larger. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a big piece. And I ended up going back and chopping it up into like three separate pieces for the haul then because printers were telling me this is going to take 40 hours to print. And, you know, and then the price would be astronomical for the print. So you got to kind of work the angles, too, and think about it. Okay, what's going to make this easiest for the guy that's printing it to reproduce as well? Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. you mentioned a little while ago, and I I do want to come back to that. And guys, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if um, listeners today, the the Skype's been a little funny. Um, Pulling back the curtain a little bit. Game of Thrones, the last season's first episode dropped last night. And uh, Australian's internet is not really coping. Everyone and their dog appears to be downloading it at once. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I was one of those people. However, um, everyone's live streaming it. And uh, it is ruined that the two little tin cans with the string that is Australia's uh, internet. And I have the best you can get. And it's ugh. anyway. Um, so now that the internet's calmed down and hopefully I don't jinx myself by saying that. Um, let's go back to the freighter. Now, you did mention that TT Combat makes a freighter model, and it's really cheap. It's like 26 pounds, um, and it yeah. is um, 
Well, you tell us what it is because you have one and I've been eyeing it up for a long time, but you took yours and tell us how you modified it because it's amazing. Sure. Sure. It's a, it's a great piece. Um, for the mm. money that you spend for it, like you said, it's very affordable. It's very cheap, but uh, it comes with containers. I paid to have the extension part put in it, so mm -hmm. it made it slightly longer. The only thing I did not like about the model that's an M model Mm -hmm. is they have doorways on the side of the uh, of the main hall, on mm -hmm. the main deck, and those doorways would be level with the water line, <laughs> oh. which doesn't quite compute for me. I'm like, I don't know if you want to open the side door yeah. right into the drink, you know? No, exactly. So <laughs> I had some two-inch thick uh, uh, stock, and all I did was I laid that deck once I had it assembled, which was very easy to do. Mm -hmm. Laid it down on the styrofoam. I traced around it, cut it with a knife, and then uh, shaped it with, um, you know, uh, sand. Yep. And attached it to the deck plan to create an intact hull. Yeah. So I raised the hull up by about two to three inches, and it gave you that. It gave you a much more, I think, realistic uh, profile to ship if it was in water. Yeah, so I, rather than like riding around right at like deck level, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's up, it's up further now. Yeah, I get the feeling that when TT made that, it it and given its size, it's a beast. Uh, especially if you put that oh, hull yeah. extension on, like you mentioned, you could actually play, you know, maybe entire games of a pulp game on the deck. Like I got the feeling that maybe, and of course this is pure speculation, that perhaps. It was yeah. designed to be played on as its own sort of game board. Um, and maybe you could bring up little ships alongside. So maybe not as much in situ. Then again, TT does have a wonderful dock range um, of dock scenery. Right. Um, so I, I looked at it and was thinking, this looks great. But when you posted the pictures of it with the, as you say, with the two-inch expansion at the bottom, which you just used foam and cut around it, um, and then you used like a, um, a a wall filler, is that right? And sanded it back so it was smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So what I used was it's not it's not plaster, but it's something called flexible patching compound. Mm. And basically, it's somewhere between plaster and latex, and you can buy it for you know patching walls. The only difference is is that it's flexible, so it doesn't crack. Nice. So when you paint that on, you can paint it on with a brush. You can sand it. You can treat it just like you would anything else. But it doesn't crack or chip like um, like plaster would. So That's you can awesome. use it to fill the gaps that you need to and stuff. Nice. And the um, yep. and the the I saw that the bow of that ship is slightly because of the way it's manufactured. It has um, it isn't as smooth as it could be. I should say there's um, yep. jagged lines, like almost like a 3D print, even though it's uh, MDF, just because it wasn't cut round. Um, but right. I think the way that you did it, you were just able to buff that right out, right? Yep. And that I just, I just brushed up with the, uh, the same material. Oh, so that awesome. way it would fill in those gaps as well. And, and then just sanded it down. So yeah, it worked out really good. I have a whole article up on the blog that covers that process mm -hmm. and, um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I have the, uh, the deck plans too. I think I put up on the blog, but I made interior deck plans and when I printed them out, I printed them out um, 11 by 17 mm -hmm. and mounted them on foam core. But I printed them out, I think, at 120 percent just so that it was a little bit larger and more forgiving for miniatures. Mm -hmm. But basically, it has like the lower hold, the engine room and a couple other different areas. So that that way, you know, I ran a game, a couple games, actually, 
where the Joes had to infiltrate the ship and fight their ways up, way up from like the lower deck. They had to seize the engine room and then they had to seize the deck itself and then seize the, uh, the control room. So there were like three separate objectives on the ship itself. That's awesome, man. Now you, that now, well, I was going to say, um, and I think that is where you and I look at Joe's uh, slightly different. Um, I think I come from the, as we've talked about in the last time you were on, from more of a bolt action-y standpoint, which is more of a, a, a more of an army, um, larger combat sort of uh, background, mm-hmm. whereas I think yours is more of a pulp. Um, don't get me wrong. The games you put on are epic and huge. No, yeah. Um, but it's, it's yeah. more of a, a dialed-in um, focus on the individual rather than, by unit would you say that's accurate yeah so how basically i run my games i mm-hmm. i run them by my rule set that i wrote years ago where heroes dare yep that's available through brigade games i get no money through the sales because we sold our company like years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> so honestly the, the one of the main reasons i still rule use that rule set it's it's not a ego or anything else it's because mm-hmm. i know the rules so well that i don't have to reference anything yeah <laughs> you know because i wrote the rules but the other thing I liked about that rule set, too, was it tied into the rules that Chalfont Conley also wrote, mm-hmm. where he wrote a series of straight, like, uh, wargaming game rules for, like, Vietnam, for Lebanon, mm-hmm. 1982, the Civil War, for all those different periods. And all those vehicles convert perfectly mm-hmm. into the Where Heroes Dare system. Oh, nice. So if you wanted to have an M60 into it, you could put your M60 tank into it. In fact, when I play October Guard... I use all the vehicles from his Warsaw Pack supplement that he wrote nice. for uh, the Afghan war, which was they released it as a free PDF that was called by the knife. And that has like, er, you know, every vehicle, every Warsaw Pack vehicle that was used in the Afghan conflict in the 80s. So that has all those statistics in it. So you could play, you know, you could play large scale combat games if you wanted to by that same rules with those same vehicles with all those statistics. But what I usually do is we have um, generally speaking, when we play, it'll be one to like four characters, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then from those characters, you may have like two or three squads of just green shirts or Cobra Vipers. Yeah. So those two or three squads are like five man teams and really the purpose that they serve in the game is they add firepower, mm-hmm. but they're also like a blade of armor for those characters where, you know, yeah. unfortunately they're the meat shields, you know, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. But the only one that doesn't work that way is snake eyes because snake eyes is a lone, you know, yeah. a lone gunman. So he does not travel with anyone else. And, uh, you know, he's his own force of nature when he's on the table. Yeah, and I I've been doing some stuff with the bolt action rules um, specifically for Joe, and the way mm-hmm. that mine works, um, my Joe team is I've made uh, I basically use the Falschmega rules for mm. or the U.S. paratrooper rules I should say for the Joes, and I use the FJ for the Cobra. I'm generally using U.S. vehicle and rule uh, units for the Joes and then Germans for the Cobras and sort of drawing analogs and slightly modifying existing units because I want to stay, while the the rules that I'm I'm writing up, while I want them to be used for narrative games and fun with your friends' games, I also, if someone doesn't have a Joe Force and someone else does, I want to make it balanced so that someone can play, oh, you know, I have this Cobra army and, hey, you have this Soviet army, well, let's get a game. You know, if if you just right. desperately want to get your toys on, I don't want to make one so overpowered that 
you know, you don't get to actually play unless you have two themed armies, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That would be much more of like the, uh, the open style, like you bring your 500 points, I'll yeah. bring my 500 points mm-hmm. kind of game. Yeah, yeah. And though I'm putting together both Joe and Cobra, um, to have some themed games, uh, I, I definitely wanted to get things leveled. So, um, with the, just to go with, you were saying about having a few squads where you kind of have a character with some, some meat shield guys, um, the Joe force I have uh, using the paratrooper rules means that sort of, I, I envisioned, you know, America's elite anti-terrorism elite fighting force of the eighties to be, uh, you know, you don't want to make them, you want to make them stick around, but you also can't make them right. ch- cheesy. So, um, I stuck with right. the paratrooper rules to give them the stubborn. So they stick around, they can take the hits and they can yeah. walk it off. Um, and it's, you know, it's already pointed in the game. So I've got, um, but basically the way I I'm envisioning this is having, um, lots of squads and then, then having a list of special characters that you can add in. So for example, if you want to put rock and roll in your squad, well then you have, you know, a medium machine gunner, um, or if you want to have, I don't know. Um, you know, you take a character and you add them in, and it gives that squad maybe an additional special rule, and the points are added to it. Um, and it gives you the opportunity. You know, you don't always have barbecue. Um, that Joe, you know, I don't know if I'd ever give him his own special rules. You know, the fireman of the Joe team, but he could be one of the quote unquote right. generic yeah. Joes, right? Um, but if you added right. Alpine yep. to his unit, then all of a sudden that unit might be good at you know, overcoming rocky terrain, something like that, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. So that's kind yeah. of how I'm envisioning it for um, the rules that I'm writing up. And in case you're wondering, gang, um, I've had a few people ask. I know there aren't huge <laughs> numbers of people that have interests of bolt action and G.I. Joe um, in the old Venn diagram. I think that's not a huge sliver uh, in the middle, but um, if you are interested in seeing how I've written up rules for helicopters, for running boards, um, because a lot of the Joe vehicles have those um, tow hooks and just the pointing of the units and the vehicles themselves, um, <clears throat> they've actually just gone up. Um, the very base rules have gone up. I've intentionally left the fluff and uh, a lot of the vehicles and units out. Because I just want people to kind of look at the rules, and if you sample popular units like the like as you were talking earlier, the basic Cobra Troopers, Crimson Guard, um, you know, Hiss mm-hmm. tanks, things like this, um, those are up on uh, a page as- associated with my blog, which I haven't done tons with in recent years, but um, is still out there, and it's called Tales of Action, and I will put the link up when I put this episode with it. So if you want to look at my rules, you hmm. can look at that as well. Um, and I'm sure I'll put I'll a link. check that out. Yeah, well, I'll also, of course, put the link to uh, Jason's blog and Thingverse page on there um, so everyone can hmm. see it. But, um, yeah, it's... So we... If, depending on how you want to get into G.I. Joe gaming, there are many options. And um, for those wondering, I also got um, my Where Heroes Dare rules um, that Jason's talking about <laughs> through Brigade. Um, they delivered them brilliantly. So that's how the ones on my shelf got here. All right. Well, Jason, we've been talking for about a half an hour now, and uh, we haven't necessarily, though we kind of talked generalities about Joe, we haven't necessarily talked specifics. Um, Sort of as a little preamble for those at home, um, and I know Jason kind of is similar to this, um, but he can elaborate on his own experience in a second. But 
I think I've said on this cast before that I'm a big, I mean, I was a massive G.I. Joe fan. Um, when I was a kid, it was a bit of an obsession. And though I had things like Mask and Transformers and Star Wars figures, um, I never had anything in the depth or, you know, I, I was obsessed with Joe. Um, and that largely had to do with um, the writing of Larry Hama, who helped write, or, you know, the file cards on the back of all the action figures, which really did kind of lend a realism to the toys. And, of course, that um, dovetailed in with the comic book that Larry, of course, was writing for Marvel Comics, which uh, were just awesome stories. And it was originally conceived, I mean, he was trying to pitch a Nick Fury sort of commando comic to Marvel, and they weren't interested. Um, but then, you know, the Hasbro licensing folks uh, came over and said, hey, we'd like you to write a G.I. Joe comic book. And um, basically, the I think Jim Shooter turned to Larry and said, you know how you wanted to write a Commando comic? Well, now you can. And uh, sort of gave him G.I. Joe, which he sort of owned and sort of became um, all things G.I. Joe. So it was more of a, a comic guy. It wasn't so much laser rifles and, you know, vehicles blowing up and people diving out. The comic books, you know, people died. And there was, you know, actual yeah. modern weaponry, which in my mind always matched the toys. Um, and I was fanatical about that. Every time I'd earned a dollar, it sort of went into the G.I. Joe fund. And my poor parents um, are still, you know... <laughs> hearing me lament that uh, as a child I didn't get the aircraft carrier as a toy. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I posted that on the Facebook page, and I forgot my mom likes my hobby page, and she was like, I'm so sorry, Brad. And I was <laughs> like, oh, don't. Um, yeah. But uh, that said, um, I was always more, I guess, of the comic guy. Um, the cartoons always you know, seemed to have those you know, laser beams shooting all over the place, had the little service message at the end for kids, you know, so they learned morality. And um, yeah, it, just, it, just, it didn't grab me as much. Um, Jason, was that your experience as well? I know you also enjoyed the, co uh, the cartoons, I think, more than I did, but I know that you're also a comic guy too. Yeah, I would say I definitely enjoyed the comics more than the cartoons. Uh, the cartoons you got to see more frequently, you know, the comic books literally were one of my first, I, I think may have been my first comic book subscription I had yeah. as a kid. So I got those, I believe they were on a monthly basis, but the cartoons, they were in, you know, easy syndication that you watch daily. Mm -hmm. So I, I was getting material from, you know, I was getting fed from two different sources, but definitely enjoyed the, the more adult themed story arcs that were in the comics themselves. Yeah, exactly. I guess um, partially I grew up in Japan and in Japan there was, you know, while I was watching some pretty awesome animation, you know, Gundam, the original Dragon Ball, stuff like that on television, um, there was no G.I. Joe to be had. And um, because my dad taught on U.S. military bases, I was able to get on to the PX. And when that happened, uh, it was all about the G.I. Joe comics whenever I could grab them. And because it's a U.S. Army base, you could always grab them. So... Yeah, that was, right. I was pretty lucky about that. I think I have maybe three or four missing issues from that era. Between, and those were literally, you know, months when we were moving or traveling overseas and I couldn't somehow find it. Cool. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember that the G.I. Joe comics, my first subscriptions were G.I. Joe and Transformers. I think those mm -hmm. were my, my first two, like, box subscriptions I had. And when did you jump in on the Joes? The Joes, I want to say, well... I remember I had, oh man, uh, the giant robot cover issue, which nice. I think was three. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think that was issue three. 
So I had that and then ended up going back to buy one then later. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that was, um, I came in slightly after that. I think I was issue 18. Um, but, okay. Yeah, but my I had bought, um, I think I mentioned this the last time you were on, um, at Toys R Us they sold at the same time or around the same time of the original comic, um, they came out with this like double-sized A3. Right. Yeah, massive issue one. And um, I bought that because I hadn't quite figured out the comic book as an existence <clears throat> in its own existence at that point. So I bought that yeah. and that, I, you know, read the covers off that thing uh, a million yeah. times. Uh, but yeah. I, I didn't pick up the comic again until later when a friend turned me on to him, at which point, you know, I never stopped. It was great, too. Like uh, the comics at that point in time were were not just advertised through you know, your standard comic book sources. You saw TV commercials yes. that were animated that they put out as well. And then, uh, you know, like you said, Toys R Us carried them. I remember Toys R Us having like three packs that they mm-hmm. would sell where it was like a G.I. Joe reprint, you know, a particular Fantastic Four comic and like a Hulk comic that they would sell as a three pack that you could buy. Yeah. And where they were. That is definitely yeah. where I got uh, my favorite Transformer comic, Transformers number four, um, where yeah. it had Shockwave on the cover and said, Transformers yeah. are dead. Um, oh, yeah, that's a great cover, yeah. Yeah, man, that that you just could not look past. But, uh, yeah, it came with, I think, a two-pack of other Joe comics that uh, I was trying to get the back issues for because I had you know come in a little late on the series. So I have a bunch of the reprints of the old, and then, you know, over the years I've just picked them up one by one and yeah i've gone all the way back through although i'm still missing i think issue 24 which is the okay. uh the one we know that sounds weird but it's part two of the snake eyes origin story so as a kid right. i was always like no not that one so one of these days right. i'm gonna have to go get it yeah well right on um let's talk about some of the conflicts in particular um because as we said the 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 comics always had a more realistic arc. So um, the combat in them tended to be, uh, I don't know, maybe a little less silly. It wasn't like a wall of uh, Fang helicopters and trouble bubbles being shot out of the sky with guys parachuting off. By the way, getting a parachute out of a opened man uh, gyrocopter, you know, no roof, not a great try, idea. Try not to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. It's like uh, what you were saying earlier with the ship with the doors uh, at water level. It's like the submarine oh. with the uh, screen doors. Yeah, not great. You're okay until high tide comes. Yeah, and then you're in a lot of trouble. But um, let, let's talk specifically about some of the battles from the G.I. Joe comics that perhaps might translate themselves to the tabletop. Now, again, sure. as I mentioned before... Um, I'm looking at it, I think, on a slightly larger scale and possibly more vehicular combat. And I think you are uh, generally perhaps more of like a commando raid. But I think between the two of us, I think we're going to get some pretty cool action. Yeah, um, I would say th- the last game that I ran, I ran at Cold Wars mm-hmm. with uh, Andrew Hunter and Devin Start both helped me run the game. Mm-hmm. And that game was basically an infiltration game where it was teams of four Joes, three teams of four Joes invading a Cobra uh, facility. Mm -hmm. So that would have been more of the commando style game. Now, the next game that I'm running uh, at Historicon, if all Mm -hmm. goes well, I have a game scheduled and put in the book. 
in the uh, primary events listing. But we wanted to try, Reg asked me if we could try something more vehicle centric. So I looked at issue, uh, I want to say it was like 84. I can't remember, or 89. I can't remember which one it was. Mm -hmm. But it was a uh, an issue where the Emir of Benzene invited both the Russians and the Americans to basically come in and clear out a town that was occupied by rebel forces without either of them knowing that they've both been invited to see who they would award a defense contract to. So you had the, the October guard with a T 90 and you had the Joes with uh, an M one Abrams. And what they didn't know is that Cobra was also invited as well. And the Cobra forces that are in that town are, uh, are manning basically every variety of his tank that was developed up to that point. Yeah. So you see like the the early his tanks, the 2005 versions, you know, the the his twos, even the retaliation uh, hisses where mm-hmm. they're, you know, the more modern looking ones. And basically it became a giant tank fight in the middle of this like war-torn city. And they had other things deployed as well where there were like fires that were set to spoof the IR Mm-hmm. of the uh, tanks rangefinders and all kinds of other different things going on. So it was a it was a pretty cool armor fight and it was a three-way fight. So uh, that's basically what the scenario I'm looking to play is going to be based off of. It'll be Joe's with uh, pretty much a tank, mm-hmm. uh, probably an all striker, a small uh, a small contingent of infantry. Same with the October guard, they'll have a T62, uh, maybe a um, a BMP, maybe a BIMP, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll have a small de- de- uh, detachment of motor infantry as well. Oh, that's and awesome. And then you'll have the uh, Cobra forces, and if I get my Iron Grand Deer stuff done, mm-hmm. the vehicles for that done in time, then I'll, I might throw them in as a, a fourth combatant. That's so. awesome. Yeah, the best part of that, and that was a great issue too. Um, it was great because yeah. oftentimes in the early comics, um, you know, Larry Hama had to put the, the, the driver for that vehicle in the vehicle. Um, but because the right. Joes were fielding an Abrams, which was never a GI Joe tank, it was at least right. not in the classic range. They took all of the Joe tankers. So you actually had, you know, my favorite tanker, uh, Steeler <laughs> with my second favorite tanker cover girl in the same tank. Right. Um, and it was yep. just going, yes, this is fantastic. And of course you have the great interplay with the October guard and you know, where they start out as enemies firing paint yep. rounds at each other. Eventually uh, when Cobra gets involved, things get a little, uh, you know, a little more uh, intense and you know, the Cobra armor just can't stick up to the, the main gun on an Abrams, which I think literally yeah. fires through two hisses, which is, you know, it's yeah. a fantastic issue. And with the rules I'm using, because they're based off of the old Iron Ivan Games disposable hero set, Mm -hmm. all those tank rules are built in. And how vehicles are treated in that rule set is they're not treated as something that contains hull points, where you have to reduce something down Mm -hmm. until it's zero to not exist anymore. It works by a series of armor penetration. So every time a shot hits a tank, you roll for a penetration check. If it penetrates that side of the armor, you know, there's like a front, back, and rear to it. Mm-hmm. And if that armor, then it rolls on a chart to see what happens to the tank. Yeah. So tanks, depending on the shots, will become less and less. Mm-hmm. Which, to a degree, 
is a little bit about, I mean, it's very generally how the tank system works in bolt action as well, except tanks don't usually tick down over time. They'll take additional pins or possibly get lit on fire or they'll be actually destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Other stories that I enjoy from the comic book series, uh, one of my favorites is still Triple Play, which was, uh, mm -hmm. I believe, the second yearbook. Yes. Which is the October Guard transporting a laser that are shot down by Cobra, mm -hmm. who tried to steal the laser, who then October Guard recovers the laser and then is forced to redirect their convoy that they have by train to uh, the country Baluchistan. And the entire time they're being yes. harassed by the Cobra forces that are trying to retake that laser uh, yeah. to only have it in the end be taken from them by the G.I. Joes because that laser was stolen from uh, the U.S. That's right. Which I thought was was a great, well-laid-out story. A lot of fun. The art was gorgeous for it. Uh, you know, I have a train in 28 millimeter for it, so it's only a matter of time. Oh, yeah. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun stuff with it. Well, speaking of your terrain, I mean, A, that was a great issue. Um, all the yearbook issues tended to be those one-off because they didn't really f fall into the, the story arcs. They were great one-off adventures where you could just, you know, you, they, most of those would be perfect for a game, um, including yeah. the sort of the ninja infiltration of uh, the Cobra building in New York City on sort of oh, the yeah. commando issue. I think that was issue three um the yearbook three but yeah great stuff um but speaking of models that you can use on the tabletop and i know you mentioned it earlier uh maybe i'm jumping the gun but the battle for cobra island and the arbico freighter that we talked about right yeah and that's another great piece uh you know for the battle where it's the cobra civil war battle between the fred impersonator cobra commander mm -hmm. and serpentor's forces with basically the Joes hanging back to see which way it's going to sway. Mm -hmm. And they're actually leaning more towards supporting Serpentor only because th they feel that they could work easier with a monarchy than they could with a dictatorship. Yes. <laughs> although, although the chance, you know, it's a, it's a slight, it's semantics, I think at that point, but yeah. Only in the eighties with that really cool episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then of course you have the iron grenadiers sweeping into the end and, um, you know, they're like, Dessers, I'm only here for the Baroness. Give me the Baroness, right. who's tied to the front of a his tank. Meanwhile, you right. know, he's got by far the most superior force. And he's like, yep, all right, I'm out. Have a nice day. Yeah. So I, I think those scenarios, that, that storyline would blend itself well. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I made the uh, the the sus suspension joints for the Arbco Freighter on Thingiverse and have those available for people to print. Mm -hmm. So if they wanted to adapt their TT combat freighter to, to look more like the Arbco star, they could. That's right. And you put um, the doors in for units to, you know, deploy out of as well. Yep. Yep. So that way you can have like uh, objective points on the ship too. Oh, so cool. Love it. Well, I was thinking back to one of my first um, issues. In fact, I think it was my first issue, issue number 18 of the G.I. Joe comic. And in it, one of the things I loved about that issue is um, the Joes, um, you know, Scarface and Dr. Venom, or sorry, Scarface gets away from, and Destro get away from the Joes and hijack a passenger plane and end up in Tripoli. And, um, you know, a Cobra convoy picks them up and the Joes are, you know, go to intercept them and they're trying to capture um, Scarface, I believe. They're driving through the desert and there's a mass of his tanks and sort of stinger jeeps and other things 
you know, other Cobra vehicles, um, they have motorcycles even, even though that was never a toy. And um, the Joes, you know, because there's so much dust from driving in the desert, the Joes sort of drive in and join the column and they, uh, they find Scarface, knock him out of the turret of a hiss and then, you know, grab him. Meanwhile, the Cobras um, see the Joes doing this and it, a battle ensues and it just turns into this massive battle between, you know, some of the classic toys uh, and, um, you know, mass Cobra hiss tanks, which I've always loved the thought of. And it ends with right. uh, the Vamp Jeep getting airlifted out by the Dragonfly helicopter and that being the end. But man, that that always got my imagination going and always made me uh, want to have a lot of his tanks because they they kind of seem to be the weak disposable unit um you know just the wall of low quality high speed um light weaponry vehicles against the joe's more durable um elite forces um which, yeah. yeah yeah i would say for the for the point system the rules that does have a tank i believe is like a thousand some points mm-hmm. whereas a his tank is about 200 i believe yeah there you go so you're looking at taking about five tanks to take out one mobat and the guns are significantly different you know and oh yeah they are just bulletproof <laughs> yeah exactly but you fire anything with like a with a, a you know this armor piercing round it'll go right through them well, I mean, we see that in the comic books. I think at one point, um, the the Joes are running around on a Ram motorcycle, and they drive up behind a his tank and destroy it. And you're going, "That's a machine gun on the rear of a tank." Okay, I guess, um, which I guess works for uh, bolt action because of the way the rules work. You know, get behind something with such a light armor, especially if it's open topped, and you have the the opportunity oh, yeah. to destroy it. So, yeah, I. I think, um, yeah, his tanks, no matter what rule set you're using, are kind of garbage. Um, but I, they're just my favorites. Yeah. I love them. Uh, I currently own, because yeah. there's uh, the, the cheap toy you can get through Amazon or through Book Depository. Um, there's a miniature toy that has you can press a button and it lights up and makes noises. But it's literally the classic right. his tank scaled down with slightly larger gun barrels. And you can get it. I think yep. I got mine for maybe nine, ten dollars each, um, Australian. And so I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna order these books for school, and I'll get another his tank, and I'll get another his tank." And then I looked up and realized I had nine his tanks, and went, "I should probably stop buying these now." Yeah, those those kits are great. They're from Running Press. Yes. And uh, I currently have six. My painted mm-hmm. is the Crimson Guard his tanks. Yes. Two up is the traditional black. And then I have two of them painting up as the Arcticus tanks. Yes. Where I had the uh, the Arctic turrets uh, printed in resin, mm-hmm. so that uh, and scaled down to fit the running press. I uh, I also been- have uh, a few of the Arctic ones and a black one, but it is my dream to have some uh, Crimson Guard red ones because the only infantry I currently have painted for my Joe forces are uh, were beautifully painted by uh, my friend Patch. And they are, of course, the Crimson Guard and Crimson Guard Commando. Uh, sorry, uh, Cobra Commander. So I uh, I really need to give them some tanks. Yeah, they look great. I remember seeing the pictures. Those look really good. Oh, man. Well, speaking of Joe stuff, uh, you've recently been expanding your range. I know through the Thingverse page that you were talking about before, you've actually come out with heads for 
televipers, saw vipers, uh, night vipers, and uh, my personal favorite, you've done conversion kits so you can turn existing models into snow serpents, which were, um, you know, the cobra frogmen that, you know, were so good that they then gave them the Arctic training, uh, which, you know, just, yeah. you've, you've sort of blown out all of the, um, almost all the basic troopers for Cobra. So all the army building you need, all you need to do is three print, 3D print some heads and maybe backpacks and add them to some yeah. existing modern mo models and they're done. They look great, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and all that basically came out of necessity where there were more troops that I wanted to have and I could find bodies that I could use to be able to create the troops, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't have the skill to mass produce. Like, I'm okay with green stuff, but... Not to the point where I can repetitively create the same head over and over again. Yeah. Right? If I wanted five of something, mm -hmm. I would need to uh, create an STL file, a 3D file, mm -hmm. so I could recreate that, print multiple copies of the same sculpture yeah. rather than trying to re-sculpt something five times. Yeah, forget that. And wait, other people asking for you know, those conversion kits as well. Mm. And that made it possible for other people to make some of the same conversions that I made. So, yeah, man, because for the snow serpents, all you really needed were the sort of the pouch on the front. Um, so the parachute pouch on the chest, the big backpack on their back, which is probably also a parachute, um, the special head, but then they have those, you know, furry forearms and shoulders. Yeah. Um, but yep. you can just green stuff that on really easily. Yeah, I didn't think that was too hard. The only problem I had with uh, when I did my conversions for the bodies was the straps take a bit of time because they have of straps course. running you know, up the front, up the back, and then like a harness from the parachute itself. Yeah, that's right, because it is a paratrooper uh, harness built onto an Arctic weather trooper. I always looked at that yeah. as a kid and went, that is a cool-looking guy, but wow, that's a crowded model. Right. It's got a lot of stuff on them, yeah. And I made the uh, I made the missile, the anti-tank missile launchers, too. Yes, you did. On the same sprue that has the heads, there's one anti-tank missile, so you could put that on someone's base or on a separate base if you wanted. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool, man. It's to take the toys of the Thanks. childhood and put them on a table. <laughs> right. So that's that's been my main uh, motivation is as I'm coming across other models I want to have made, saw vipers, televipers, heat vipers, uh, the, one of the last ones I, I worked on, I have a Toxo Viper head, the version one. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably look at making a sprue of those at some point and probably just mounting them on like uh, chem suit bodies. There's a lot of those out there. So I don't know if I needed to have like a sludge rifle or anything like that, but I know like recreational conflict, they have a range where they have, um, chem suit bodies with, uh, M16. So they have 1980s era weapons. And one of those bodies I used to make barbecue, which I have that head sprue and his backpack up there. I'll have I'll have him up on the blog probably in a couple weeks. Oh, that's so good, man. Speaking of him earlier, you know, you always need the firefighter somewhere. <laughs> right, right. He's one of those underrated characters. You know, I still haven't found solutions yet for Tripwire. I need to work mm -hmm. on him at some point. Um you know, Tripwire was always one of those uh, Larry Hama favorites who, I mean, yeah. he appeared in a lot of issues, uh, even, you know, always being the yeah. clots, always being sort of like the, the comedy uh, of the issue. 
But, um, you know, yeah. Barbecue really only showed up a couple of times and he had the sort of the best one liner where he's on the uh, the the platform, you know, the the yeah. sort of like the oil rig. And they're all getting ready because, right. you know, the hydrofoils are about to attack. And, you know, Shipwreck says something like, who needs a fireman on a ship or whatever? And he goes, well, everyone <laughs> says that until they're, uh, you know, until their building's on fire. And it's just like, oh. there's a, yeah, until there's a fire. Yeah. So many yeah, good so. characters, though. Uh, just going yep. through, um, I've been going through the GI Joe sort of collection guide um, by Mark Balermo, and oh, okay, yeah, it is so good. Um, there's a new yeah. edition of it, and I guess it's the third edition, and I was able to get it for Christmas, and it runs through the toys through 1982 to 1994, and gives you a little blurb about you know, almost everything um, about maybe some of the original file card names, um, some of the backgrounds for some of the characters that may have changed, you know, some of the toy inconsistencies or, you know, production run changes. It's just a really fun read if you're a Joe fan. Um, Sounds like a great browsing book, yeah. It is. It's been invaluable where I've been trying to come up with rules for different things because I'm going back through all the old file cards and through comic books, but to actually go and find a picture of the model, all the things it came with, what it was associated okay. with, the year and the run it yeah. came out with, and, you know, what specialties and things. It's just like, oh, this is a wonderful book. Yeah, man. Okay, well, let's talk more about your big games, because you've run quite a few of them. Sure. Um, are you... I know you mentioned that the comic books were sort of an inspiration for you for those. Um, is there anything else Is it that grabs you, or... Is it just sort of, how do you come up with them? Because your stuff is sensational. I mean, you talked oh, about the the game with infiltrating the Cobra base, but you literally built a Cobra base with complete with <laughs> walls, doorways, bulkheads, computer banks, um, trap door. I mean, it was literally like the perfect uh, Cobra base from a comic book or a cartoon, but it was all from your head. How did that come about? I mean, what's your inspiration? <laughs> Uh, mental illness probably but uh, like, <laughs> right on. I, I started i started wanting to do uh, wanting to do floor plans and i wanted to do uh, modern floor plans and this is probably for a while now mm-hmm. a couple years back where i started like putting time into looking to see what was out there and i can't remember who but someone on the 80s group recommended carl stotzel's um pfs that mm-hmm. he has oh, uh, okay. available through drive through rpg mm-hmm. and Carl's, uh, he also does sculpting too. He's a sculptor as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. But he had, uh, he had these PDFs and, uh, they were very affordable. They were like five bucks or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a look at them. I purchased them. I looked through them. I printed them out. And then I just sat down to, I had a, a, a huge mountain of like scrap gator board, which is like yeah. more resilient foam core. It's like, um, it's, it's more durable. Yeah. And uh, I just sat down and started knocking out rooms with it. And at first I did a couple rooms with uh, removable walls mm-hmm. so that I could shoot them as like diorama shots for, oh, cool. uh, for on the blog and stuff. Yeah. You know, I would leave one, one wall off so you could shoot room interiors. Mm-hmm. And then slowly just started adding more and more stuff to it until it got to the point where I had enough that I could run the in- installation missions. Yeah. And my first thought was to actually do like um, the assault on the pit, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't have enough bats, and uh, I I wasn't sure how I wanted to do that yet. And I had 
in uh, I had gone and gotten the mass device printed, <laughs> and I wanted to find an excuse to use that in a game. So it ended up like tying in all those things to be able to make like an infiltration into a Cobra Temple. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's awesome, man! And with that, I made some three D pieces as well. I made like a Cobra, uh, Cobra Throne mm-hmm. that I have up on Thingiverse. So there's some backdrop pieces and pretty much like anything, anything else alive. I just picked up through like recreational conflict or mm-hmm. crooked dice. They have a lot of like evil lair interiors. Yes. And even just stuff from Etsy. Yeah, absolutely. Man, crooked dice, not only do they do those, um, the, you know, the computer banks and the, the different background materials that go with sort of the evil layer because they have that whole um, sort of pseudo bond range that works brilliantly for, yeah. you know, Cobra bases or even G.I. Joe bases in the 80s. Um, but they also have tons of infantry models that if you're looking to convert Joes or Cobras, uh, I know you made your scrap iron out of um, one of their models. They are brilliant for that. Um, and I know I yeah. bought yeah. for Torpedo, I bought their one of their scuba guys um, because it was mm-hmm. it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. The range is beautiful. The sculpt, The sculpting is great. I've used the um, the boiler suit minions as mm-hmm. the basis for the conversions for snow serpents. I've used mm-hmm. uh, lots of their different models to make Recondo, a cutter to mm-hmm. make you know. Uh, I have a uh, I have a Doctor Mindbender in a trench coat with fur collars for uh, Arctic mm-hmm. that I haven't fi- finished painting yet, but he's made up from. Uh, one of their, I think it was their guru model. So there's, there's a lot of stuff you can mine out of their, uh, their range that they have. Yeah. It's so good. And the, and the models are so easy to convert because they're so oh, yeah. crisp and beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very well done. I'm not sure who their sculptor is, but whoever it is, is astonishingly good. I'm not sure if it's yeah. Carl or if he just writes the rules, but it, yeah, really top notch. Like some of the best in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, you've been a little bit of an inspiration for me recently. Uh, and uh, looking at uh, Thingverse and someone else's files, uh, one of my favorite Joe toys growing up was the G.I. Joe Headquarters, uh, which was, you know, one of the most impractical toys ever uh, because it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's have a fortress that only works one way. Uh, right, enemy wants to get right. you, we're going to drive you from the side or the rear, for, and then you're done. Uh, but I, I loved it. And... There's a 3D print file for that, and so uh, I am I am gonna have that made up, if only to go, you know, on the top shelf in my bedroom as a little display. But uh, yep. I would love to get a big game going for that, and I know uh, our good friend Peter West up in Canberra is maybe thinking about uh, doing something similar with uh, the Arbico freighter. So I think we we might be having some big games, uh, a la you, but um, in the southern hemisphere. <laughs> Um, right, right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That, that was a great toy. I, I remember having that toy early on. Yeah. I remember the elevators for the vamp that you could lift mm-hmm. the tank up or the vamp up and uh, the prison cell that they had. Yes. In it. And uh, those were probably like the main highlights of that that entire set. It, it was a lot of fun. Well, it came out about the same time. I mean, clearly it was featured only, I think, in the comic books ever once, um, which was, I think, issue 19, which I was going to bring up in a second. But mm-hmm. in it, um, you know, Major Blood and Scarface are in a prison cell. And so I always loved the prison cell in that playset. Yeah. And it was, you know, they 
Koba's, you know, Storm Shadow trying to infiltrate the Joe base that has no rear. Right. Anyway, um, to get yeah. to to get the captured person out and that sort of thing. But it was it was such a fun and cool playset. And of course, as you say, there was on one side there was a spot to park your vamp jeep that if you raised up the lift um, and turn the gun around it would sh- go through the slot it was perfectly built for that yeah. and on the other side there was a spot to drive your mobat tank up and the gun went out that slot perfectly uh and so for me as a kid that was like the ultimate playset. and so yeah i'm, I'm thinking yeah. i definitely got to do that again those are great you know it reminds me too like even before that i remember the guns of navarone yes. playset, mm-hmm. and uh I always lusted after that. I never had that as a kid, but I remember yeah, just staring either. at the toy store. So when the GI Joe one came mm-hmm. along and I was able to have that, that kind of filled that, <laughs> that, that spot that I had that was left yearning for the, uh, mm-hmm. the old Mark set. Yeah, man. And I mean, just to go back to issue 19, speaking of games, mm-hmm. you can play out. Um, that is a great yeah. one. A wall of crappy hiss tanks, um, slash some snake armor and a bunch of Cobra infantry charging at the base. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, you have a couple Joe vehicles out in the field, like the Wolverine or the, the Mobat, um, going out to yep. destroy things. And meanwhile, you have Joe's manning the guns and just trying to keep Cobra at bay. Uh, just oh, such a such an iconic issue. Um, this sort of yep. ended all a lot of the early story arcs and started what uh, many consider to be sort of the golden age of the comic. Because right after that, yep. of course, um, there was the wrap-up, the silent interlude issue, and then we yeah. sort of entered what people consider to be, you know, sort of the ninja era, but not the ridiculous <laughs> ninja era of G.I. Joe. Right. It wasn't quite as bad as it could be for the Ninja era. I think when you get up around like 120. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's like ninjas on steroids. It, it has the unfortunate mix of being ninjas like in the late 90s. Yeah. Which are, <laughs> which is, you know, awful. Like uh, a cross between the character Spawn and a ninja. You yeah, know? exactly. Same style, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it's it's like ninjas were incredibly cool around right. issue 21, issue 20, yeah. 20. Uh, and yeah. then when you get up to about a 100 issues later, um, you know, almost 10 years after that, you go, yeah, no. Like, kids, ninjas are played out at this point. We should probably do something else. Well, Jason, as someone who, and I think I talked about this in the prior episode, who is literally, I was going through, as I said, that G.I. Joe um, sort of resource book, and I was flipping through the pages, and then I got to thinking, and I went back, you have made an incredible number of the models from that book, um, as far as the vehicles, as far as the infantry. Um, You've made squads of... You know the basic uh, troopers on the Cobra side, in particular, and on the Joe side, um, because they're what Steel Brigade, um, which was sort of the generic, oh yeah, helmeted Joe that you couldn't see their face, and you could have you know a thousand of them uh, if you could find them. Um, but so, as someone who sort of owns the GI Joe universe in miniature form, what's next? I mean, I love that you keep coming up with this stuff, but. Jesus, man, what's left for you? Well, there's st- there's still a lot of stuff left. You know, uh, man, you have um, – I'd still like to do, like, a, a martial arts-centric game where mm-hmm. it's basically going to be just characters from the Joes, like Snake Eyes, mm-hmm. Scarlet, Scarlet, Jinx, Quick Kick, versus 
you know, ninjas on the other side as well, the Rishikagi, yes. and just do a scenario based around that. Maybe not a large scenario, maybe something small like a museum fight or something like that. Yeah. Just something that it's exploring those those same uh, that that side of the comics as well as as well as like the military side. So I'd like to do that at some point. Um, I like the globe trotting aspect of the G.I. Joe comics and the mm-hmm. cartoons. So I would really like to do, if it was ever possible, like a three or four part game where each one takes place at a different place. A good example of that is for like the mass device, that first mini series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now possible, I think, to be able to do each of those different environments that they were in, like the heavy water, yeah. the radiation mines, you know, all that stuff is is readily able to be done. Even the vehicles now with 3D printing appeared in those cartoons are mm-hmm. able to be done. So I know today, just, just literally today, I was looking at um, fleece printed mats. And with the pricing that you're able to do now, you can take an image and have it printed on a fleece mat uh, 50 by 60 for around $50 US. And knowing that, uh, I went and made up a fleece mat that I haven't had produced yet, but I have one made up for the uh, the heavy water area. So we'll be able to do an entire underwater battle at that heavy water location with the hole to the heavy water in the center of the table. Mm-hmm. And then probably looking at making like the, uh, the two the worm stalks with like spray insulation. Nice. So you, yeah, so we'll see how it, see how it plays out. But there you can have the sharks in in play. Mm-hmm. I might make the submarine that the Baroness had, where it was like the uh, the robot submarine. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different stuff you can do. I already have the eels for it. You know, I have Deep Six now, uh, thanks to uh, Tim Spakowski at um, Service Special Air Service Miniatures, mm-hmm. where that's a, a project that he and I both worked on. Yeah, that Deep so. Six model looks incredible. Thank you, thank you. And that was all because, you know, uh, one person, Andrew Hunter, asked if, if if it could be made and could be sculpted. And I thought looking at the body of the of the action figure, it's pretty angular. Yeah. And uh, I was able to remake that in Tinkercad and then just basically make it headless so that um, you could put whatever 28-millimeter head on it that you wanted to. If you yeah. wanted to, you could make an entire squad up in that armor where it could be Scarlet, Duke, you know, who knows who else, mm-hmm. uh, each in those suits as well as Deep Six. So, Are you planning to so, do anything else with Tim like that? I mean, because that is a pretty yeah. awesome project. Yeah, Tim, Tim's got some other stuff coming up, and mm-hmm. uh, I can say that I've worked on some, I have a vehicle that I've worked on for him, which I don't know if he wants disclosed yet, but it'll, it'll go along with a specific figure that he's looking at uh, trying to release a miniature of. Oh, really? So, Ooh. Yeah, so that's that's in the near foreseeable future. And uh, a lot of the stuff, like, we're looking at, you know, poses that are more like the sideshow model, maquettes mm-hmm. that you see, mm-hmm. where they're a little bit more modern or they're a little bit more detailed than maybe some of the stuff from the original 80s, just so it has it. It has the. It's more of an homage to those pieces. So, yeah. but uh, I think people really enjoy them. Yeah, man, I can't wait to see uh, see that coming out because I saw that Deep Six model and went, "Oh my God, give give me that, please." I'm waiting uh, for a few other things to come out to buy in bulk, uh, and I think I'm gonna have them shipped to the U.S. because I'll be there in a couple well, months. Well, on that same note too, like I said, if if someone wants something or they're looking for something, I would reach out to 
Tim. Tim's always looking for more suggestions as well mm. for uh, things that people would like to see produced. Um, I have a, a set of the 3D pack rats that are going to be, uh, I had a small run made as prints because I wanted prints myself. Mm -hmm. So I'll have a couple of those extra for sale for sale probably early next week if somebody wants one. Hello, but, uh, my man. Those sets, <laughs> sets of three where it's one of each of them, they're yeah. printed in PLA and they're scaled to 28 millimeter. But Perfect. I had to look at the prints today that the printer sent me pictures uh, of them. They look, they look excellent, so. Yeah, man. And the pack rats were always so iconic, too. For those who don't know, they were also in issue 19 um, of the comic. And yeah. they were the little G.I. Joe um, sort of unmanned robots that, you know, would go out and shoot. And one had a little missile rack on it. One had a flamethrower and one had a bunch of machine guns on it. And it was just, you know, a little ro it was the 80s. So a little robot that would run around and shoot things. Um, and they battled against um, in in the episode uh, against Snake and Quinn, who were, um, you know, being mind controlled in um, Cobra Snake Armor. In the snakes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. And Snake Armor is now you can get Snake Armor through Thingiverse and through other places as well. And my God, do I want to put some on the table? Yep. Yeah, they they are pretty incredible. That was one of the encounters that you could come across. In the infiltration game, I ran at Cold Wars. Oh, nice! And uh, when pl when players stumbled across one, they they first encountered one in the lunchroom mm -hmm. at the Cobra installation, the cafeteria, and it was a brouhaha as they basically tried to hold it off to barricade a door to get away from it. So <laughs> they're 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 literally tanks in a hallway. Yeah, and those were such Very cool nice. models as a kid. Um, Oh yeah. Cuz I had I had a couple. I had two white ones and a blue one. And for years um I was joking around with a friend here and we were talking about it. And I was like, "Oh, I had a blue one." And he was like, "No, there weren't blue ones. There was only white ones." And I was like, "No, there was a blue one." Ah. And but sure enough, I was flipping through the Mark Blairmo book and sure enough, it was because the uh the blue one was like a special mail away, but it came out years after the white one that it was but it was okay. yeah. So I definitely need to paint up a blue snake armor to put on the table. Yeah, I had I had two of the white ones. I never had one of the blue ones, but they do look sharp. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little dark blue, but I think if you paint them up and you do the highlighting, I think it'll pop on the tabletop. I think it'll just look good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty nasty, too. Like, I, I, I was looking through the blueprints of the pack rats as I was sculpting them up. Mm -hmm. And the weapons that they put on them, you know, you're still talking the early run of the, the toys being developed. So you still have like actual weapons that they're referencing, but my God, they put, <laughs> they put a lot of weapons on those little things. Yes. Like a one has four 50 caliber guns. Yes. The other one has a flamethrower, but underneath the flamethrower are two 20 millimeter guns. What? I didn't remember that. Yeah, that was one I, of the one I, I didn't, didn't remember have. that. Just in case the flamethrower didn't kill you, you know, the, yeah. the 20 millimeter guns would. And then the other one has uh, four two-stage rockets. So, Jesus, you know, they're they're pretty they're pretty heavy duty for what they are. Yeah. Well, I've been uh, as I've been saying, I've been working on the the bolt action rules for a lot of the vehicles, and I've gotten just about everything from the early years um, that is easy to get down. Um, I haven't, though. I've come up with the rules for helicopters. I haven't figured out the pointing for them, so I haven't put those down. But um, the mm. pack rats and yeah. the base are definitely in the, I have no idea how to do that on a <laughs> tabletop. And the boats, too. I'm, 
I'm like, uh, I don't. With the uh, well, for the for the, I would say, does bolt action have rules for like the Goliaths and stuff that were employed by the Germans? They do. They okay, do. so maybe it's something a little bit more similar like that, for like how they. That's a great idea. Yeah, and for uh, the for the yeah for the water. I was just going to say for the watercraft, mm-hmm. uh, one of the ways that watercraft move, which I found this to be simple but intuitive, is that at, at the start of your movement, you, you can move the set, whatever distance it is, or less. But any turns that you're going to make, you have to make at the beginning of your movement. You That's can't turn in mid-move with the pro. And what that does is it kind of gives you that feel that you are not completely in control of your motion in the water. Mm. You know what I mean? So it, it makes it a little bit more restrictive. Uh, it lends itself well to like water movement. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I think um, I think ships and planes are going to be a, f- a future attachment for what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just trying to get basic stuff on the tabletop. But yeah, the idea of getting yep. a hydrofoil on the table or, you know, the whale hovercraft is uh, a dream of mine that I would love. I, I need to make sure I get everything else right first. <laughs> yeah, All I'm right. looking at the pack rat with the flamethrower. Sure enough, it's got two guns on it. That's crazy. Yeah. 20 millimeter two guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I, you know, it's going back through this book and not to keep talking about this book, but um, it's it's great that, for example, I'm looking at the pack rats and though I had two out of the three of them, I'm looking at them and I forgot that they came with little remote controls you could put into the figures, yeah. you know, into infantry guys' hands. And I'm looking at it going, Right. Is that where that came from? Because as a kid, I had this, yep. I don't know why this guy has a walkie-talkie. Where did that come from? And it, it's from the pack rat. Yeah. Yep. And I think they had two different styles of uh, remotes, too. I think one mm-hmm. was kind of like a gun that was a uh, had an antenna on it, and the yep. other one looked more like a, a, a walkie-talkie. Yeah, one of them yeah. looks almost like a phaser from Star Trek, and the other one uh, hey, yeah. like an Atari controller, and then there's one that looks like a mobile phone. Um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been focusing on uh, snow vehicles and land vehicles to start with, so uh, we'll see where that ends up. The snow vehicles should be a lot of fun, too. Uh, the I got prints of the Cobra Ice Wolves. Yes, me I too. I haven't gotten them painted yet. They're really nice looking vehicles. Yeah, the um, you can go to Thingverse as you say, and there's snow cats, the polar, um, the polar bear, uh, snowmobiles, the little ones that look like motorcycles almost, and as you say, the ice wolves. Yeah, and there's the Arctic hiss as well, and oh my god, yeah. they're good. Um, all of yeah. those vehicles made me literally. I got those in the mail, and I went from painting my regular Hiss tanks black to painting them <laughs> white. And all my Joe vehicles yeah. went immediately into uh, chipped whitewash. Uh, so my, you know, my <laughs> Mobat tank and my Vamp are, you know, white, but they've been sponged dark green, so it looks like the paint's chipping, yep. and you can see the original paint underneath. And so uh, I'm looking yep. at my mauler now thinking, all right, you need the whitewash treatment next. But given that that was a khaki tank in the toy, I'm looking at yeah. it going, do I paint you green or do I paint you khaki under the white? Um, but probably khaki to be true to the toy. But 
Yeah. I did. There is a picture there. It was made in green at one point. And if you ever look at huh. what the Mahler looks like in green, it, it just looks wrong. You just look at it and go, that, that, right. that doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little weird. But, you know, trying to make everything themed so it fits the same tabletop. So you're not having, oh, look, you know, desert guys versus snow guys in the green. Right. But we'll see how that works. But, yeah, those vehicles are astonishingly good. The Ice Wolf in particular is gorgeous. Uh, and that's a toy I never had, but to look at as you know, a 3D print file is just amazing. Now, were those toys that you wanted as a kid that you were never able to get, but now, now that you're older and you've got the G.I. Joe collection pretty much remade in 28 millimeter, um, are there things that just were was super exciting for you as a collector to be able to put on the tabletop? Oh, yeah, I, I think. Just even some of the figures, you know, I didn't have all the figures, mm. especially once you got past, like, I, I like, I think I mentioned before, like, my high watermark was, I think, Refrigerator Perry. Yes. Where I just couldn't go any further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, even then, when I go back and look through, like, the websites now, I, I bought a figure or two here or there after that. It was yeah. mostly, like, uh, just oddball figures like Saw Vipers or something that, you know, must have caught my eye at the time. Mm-hmm. But there's still pieces that I, you know, the Ice Wolf I never had. My cousin had the Snowcat, which I always loved, mm-hmm. but didn't have. So that was a that was a piece I wanted to get as well. So there's still a number of pieces that I'd like to collect at some point. Yeah, for me, um, some of those things that I always wanted as a kid, uh, and that either you know a good friend of mine had, or um, or I just never saw in person that I always wanted to get. Um, one of them was weirdly the Cobra Asp, the, um, the, 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. The anti-aircraft gun. And I just, you know, my friend had yep. it and it is so cool looking and I just never had it. And I think on the very first order of 3d print stuff that I had made, the Asp was, <laughs> I think number two on the list behind the Mobat. It was like, yes, Asp, give it to me right now. Want it. Um, and you yep. are personally responsible for the creation of my biggest want vehicle ever um, because you made one and then somebody made the 3D print based on your model, which was the Cobra transport helicopter, which, you know, was always in the comic oh, book, yeah. but was never yeah. in a toy, at least not in the era that we yeah. played um, or, you know, right. played with the toys. And my God, yeah. when I, when you put that on the table uh, in your blog, I just went, <gasps> Oh my God, you can do that. And then somebody actually made the 3D print file for it. So yes, amazing. Yeah, I had always wanted that for the action figures ever since I saw it in the comics. The first time I saw it was in the battle for Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that was issue 49, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Where it's Serpentor just, you know, fresh out of the tank. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Still wet. Fighting, right, still wet, fighting a retreat. All the way to the uh, all the way to the football stadium, yeah, and uh, them leaving Springfield in those transport helicopters, and you know, I I thought sky cranes were cool back then before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so seeing sky cranes as Cobra transport helicopters, that was like double cool. Yeah, so, man. that was definitely something. As soon as I saw, you know, the ability to to have twenty eight millimeter GI Joe miniatures. Yeah, that was definitely something that I immediately researched to see how I could go about making it. Yeah, 
Well, there was that, and the guy who made that also did the Tomahawk helicopter, which was also on my oh, yeah. you know dream list of never owning, but my God, did I want one? Um, which was uh, what's yeah. it, you know it's basically the the GI Joe transport helicopter, and so when I saw those yep. two, I went, yeah, my dear friend who orders in the United States, please. No, with you know, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Please print those right now and send them to me. I need them now. Um, and yeah. yes, I embarrassingly have not painted them yet, but they are gorgeous. And now that I have rules that I can use to play with them on the tabletop, oh yeah, gonna yep. play with them. Right. Yeah. There's a lot you can do. You can do a Black Hawk Down scenario. Yes. Uh, the scenarios. Like I posted uh, the pictures of, I think it was issue 74, where they're trying to take that new island that's formed Mm -hmm. right off the coast of Cobra Island. And, you know, that's a great scene where you see Cobra helicopters dropping, literally dropping bats without parachutes onto the island to hold the ground. Mm -hmm. So... And they're breaking into pieces and yet still firing and dragging themselves along like zombies. Yeah, man. That is a yep. such an iconic comic. Yeah, that's a great scenario, I think, in that in that one. That would not be hard to do at all. It's like a meat grinder where you have the defending forces having to survive a number of turns or a number of waves of attack. Yeah. And given that there were bats and maggots and other, um, you know, cobra weapons that you know, can cause some damage. I think that just, as you say, that, you know, fight for survival to, if you, if you can stay on the Island long enough, you win, um, before it sinks back into the sea spoilers is that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think all those different aspects, all the different combined forces where you can have land, sea, air, Mm -hmm. combat, all on the same table. It's a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. It reminds me of the GI Joe issue where, um, the, the whale, uh, hovercraft is trying to attack uh, a Cobra atoll in the middle of the Pacific, uh, or is it the Atlantic? That's a great I, issue. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of ASP gun emplacements with this little bunker on the atoll and they're all pointing one direction and the whales trying to survive, you know, assaulting that. Meanwhile, there's two hover hovercraft circling like sharks around the atoll. And, um, you know, the, the hovercraft does what no one else expects them to do, which is of course drive over land <laughs> and it keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Right. It's a great issue. Yeah. That's, that is one of my favorite issues. And that was probably like, that's what convinced me as a kid to go out and get one of the, uh, ass, uh, toys mm-hmm. that they had at the time. That's great. Yeah, man, that is one of the issues why I also always wanted an ASP and yet never got one. I was going, no. Well, Jason, we've been talking for quite a while today. Um, and though I, I, I think both of us have uh, been talking a lot about how much we've enjoyed having this discussion today, I think um, given the technical issues, it's not always been the most coherent conversation. So if you're listening to this, um, if it jumps around a little bit, um, the Skype issues We've actually recorded this over several days. Um, this episode will hopefully be uh, a coherent uh, <laughs> enterprise that you can enjoy listening to today, dear listeners. Um, but bef- I mean, for all of your patience and willingness to come back again and again, I have to say, Jason, thank you so much. Um, you have <laughs> literally been the most cheerful guest in the face of technical adversity I think this show has ever <laughs> had. So thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. 
And man, uh, guys, again, if you have not checked out the Dr. Mercury blog spot and or Thingverse page, you gotta do it. It is, there's just so many great pieces in there that are, you know, one-off um, pieces from, you know, our history that, you know, as gamers that, you know, really do hit the nostalgic spots uh, in just the right way. So, and Jason's stuff is so top-notch. If you're looking for how to do good miniature photography, for example, or uh, diorama building to show your models in, or display board building, definitely check out his blog because, man, as I said, Jason, your stuff is top-notch. And as always, as a big fan of yours, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, as Jason and I have been talking about off-air, I hope to have him on again soon so we can uh, talk about more Joe and or other gaming, uh, you know, insanity. Uh, because I think, man, I, I you're an idea of mine that I uh, absolutely am enthralled by, uh, In a, in <laughs> if that doesn't sound too weird to say. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for listening to Cast Ice. When you are playing the games that uh, we all know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. Thank you very much for listening. This is Cast Ice saying good night.